Good morning. My name is Scott Gilliland. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lover's Lane. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, extend a greeting not only from myself, but also from uh, Reagan Gilliland, who's also a pastor on staff and happens to be my wife. And uh, we get to co-pastor this community that we call Thrive. Uh, together, a special word of greeting to those of you who are joining online. God, I love noon games for the Dallas Cowboys. It's so much fun to be a pastor in Dallas for a noon kickoff. Uh, but I trust that your pregame is going well, and uh, I'm so thankful that you're tuning in to worship while you uh, cook your meatballs in your uh, slow cooker, whatever's happening at home right now. So um, I'm excited for the game today. It should be an absolute shellacking. If it's not, I'll be mad. Uh, but it's so nice to know we're going to win the Super Bowl at the start of the season, right? I don't feel like I'm overreacting at all. It's just going to be awesome to get that sixth ring. Oh, I love the Cowboys. So uh, we are continuing in a sermon series this morning called uh, I Wonder. And it's all about the questions that a lot of us wrestle with from time to time. Uh, and not just from time to time, but frequently. In fact, a lot of these questions I imagine many of us walk into church this morning asking. Uh, last week we talked about why do bad things happen to good people. And this week uh, we're going to talk about why do my prayers go unanswered. And to uh, get us into uh, the message this morning, I want to tell a joke, if you'll uh, allow me to. Um, I don't know why I just said that. I have a microphone. You can't control that. So uh, I'm going to tell a joke. Uh, it goes like this. There's a five-year-old boy. He's turning five, I should say. His birthday's coming up, and his parents uh, approach him, and, he's, and they say to him, you know, son, what do you want for your uh, fifth birthday? And, and he stops, and he thinks, and he thinks, and he says very seriously, I would like Nothing more than a pink polka-dotted ping-pong ball. And they say, okay. It's a weird request, but sure. So they go to the store, and they look high and low down every aisle, toy section, sporting goods section, everywhere. They cannot find a pink polka-dotted ping-pong ball, but uh, they find the hot toy that year, and it costs way more than a ping-pong ball would, so they buy it, and they wrap it up, and they give it to their son. They're, you know, He's going to be so excited, and he unwraps the gift, and um, a, a look of kind of disappointment and sadness washes over his face for a moment before he, he wipes a single tear away from his eye and smiles and says, wow, thank you so much. What a great what a great gift. Thank you, Mom and Dad. And they said, you know, son, son what's wrong? He said, well, I just really wanted a pink polka dotted ping pong ball. Said, okay. So a few years go by. Several years go by. Every birthday, he asks for the same gift. It's his 18th birthday. You know, he's about to go off to college. And they say, son, this is a big year. You know, what do you think you want for your birthday this year as we, you know, send you out the door? He says, you know, I've asked for it every year, but I'd really love a pink polka-dotted ping-pong ball for my birthday. And, you know, his dad thinks very quietly, God, this kid's weird. I can't wait for him to get out of the house. But... They go to the stores, they look high and low, they go to every store in town, they cannot find a pink polka dotted ping pong ball. So they get him a car, right? Good gift, awesome gift, put a big bow on top, he goes outside on his birthday, again, that look of disappointment, then he's like, wow, a car, thank you, mom and dad, this is so awesome, thank you, thank you, thank you, son, what is, the, it's a car, you know, I just really wanted a pink polka dotted ping pong ball. So a few years go by, he gets married. And on his wedding day, or approaching the wedding day, his, his fiance says, you know, honey, what would you like uh, for a wedding gift? I want to get you something really special to make this day mean everything. He says, you know, um, you're, you're the best gift of all, but if I could get anything, I'd love a pink polka dot of ping pong ball. You know, I've always wanted one. My parents can never find me one. So fiance goes, okay. And they go and they look high and low. You know, no luck. Can't find it. Gives him something, you get where the joke's going, right? So it uh, gives him something, uh, let's say, a uh, nice suit, okay? Oh, yeah, I wish it was pink polka dotted ping pong ball. 
Life goes on. It's his retirement party. He'd worked for this company for 40 years. He was their chief legal counsel, right? Did a lot of work for this company. The, the president, CEO of the company says, you know, man, to say thank you, what could I get you? And, and he says, I'd really love to take polka dot ping pong ball. No one's ever gotten me one. I've always wanted one. And so instead, he, he uh, gets him, a, 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 you know, a, 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 a timeshare. That's a terrible gift. But whatever. He gets him a timeshare. And, and he gets it and he goes, oh, I wish I could have gotten a ping pong ball. Flash forward, he's on his deathbed in the hospital. 99 years old, long, good, healthy, wonderful life, surrounded by all of his children and his grandchildren, great-grandchildren, huge family. They said, you know, one more gift before you go. What, what could we get you? You know, his kids are already groaning. You know, they know it's coming. He goes, I would love a pink polka dot, a ping pong ball. My whole life I've wanted one. No one's ever gotten me one. Could you get that for me? So the kids spread out. They go on Amazon. They, they Google it. Zero search results, right? They can't find a pink polka dot, a ping pong ball anywhere. So they each write him a letter, you know, explaining what kind of an impact he's had on their lives. Every child, every grandchild, every great-grandchild, the most sentimental gift you could possibly imagine, just pages upon pages of love and admiration. They give it to him. And he's laying there in the hospital room. He just shakes his head in disappointment. They said, you know, grandfather, great-grandfather, dad, what, what is wrong? He goes, I just really wanted that pink polka dot. He said, what is it about this pink polka dot ping pong ball? Why do you want this so badly? You've asked for this since you were five years old. All of us have been driven insane your whole life trying to find you this thing. What is so special? And he thinks. And his voice gets real hoarse and he says, well. And he dies. And so that is one of my favorite stories in the whole world. That is what you call a shaggy dog story. There's no actual punchline. No, that, that is the, you sat through all of that for that ending. Yes. It's what we call trolling before social media, right? Shaggy dog stories are these long-winded jokes that then at the end just have like an anti-joke punchline. They're my favorite thing in the world. If you ever want to watch a bunch of junior high students lose their mind, tell that joke to a room full of youth at church. I did that a, a few weeks ago with our own student ministry and like they, their minds exploded. They could not understand what was happening, right? Because it's this insane now, when I tell them that story, it's like 15 minutes long. I go through so many birthdays. I go through so many anniversaries, all sorts of stuff. And then at the end, there's this huge letdown, right? Because you think that there's going to be some payoff. Good Lord, you're probably sitting there going, Pastor Scott, there's got to be some kind of punchline to make this joke worth it. You're wrong. There's not. There's nothing there. And that's why it's so fun for me, right? I love those jokes. I love those stories. Um, I tell that joke, I tell that story to begin today because sometimes... I think that life can be kind of like a shaggy dog story. And that there can be these events that happen to us, this build up, these things that, 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 that take place in our lives, and we think they're leading somewhere. And, and especially in the context of prayer, we're going to read today some scripture that talks about being persistent in prayer. And we can go to God and we can pray. And we can pray. And we can pray. We can pray from the age of 5 to 95. And at the end of, of all of that praying, it, it can feel like a huge letdown when we don't get what we want. It can feel like a shaggy dog story, which is kind of funny and also kind of infuriating, right? Some of you are like straight up mad right now. I've got some work to do to, to get you back on my team for this sermon. But uh, there are times in our lives when we can pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, and there is no punchline. There is no happy ending. There is no resolution. So what do we do with that? Because it's kind of funny in a five-minute joke, and it's a lot less funny in real life. So today we're going to wrestle with the really big question of why do my prayers go unanswered? And to help us in that conversation, we're going to turn our attention to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. 
This is uh, a scene where Jesus is going to teach his disciples on the subject of prayer. And so we're going to learn uh, from Jesus. He's going to start by, by teaching them a prayer that we know today is the Lord's Prayer. And then he's going to spend some time unpacking what that means. Specifically around the subject of, of asking God through prayer. What does it mean to ask for things from God? And, and how do we understand the way that God gives through prayer? This asking and receiving that we do in prayer, how does that work? So before we read our scripture, let's pray together. We pray here in Thrive uh, and at Lover's Lane before we read scripture because we believe that it is holy and alive and we invite the Holy Spirit to make it come alive for us again this morning. So let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day and we give you thanks for this moment of worship. And God, for those times in our lives when we feel like we've been persistent, when we feel like we've asked and we've asked and we've asked and there's not a happy ending. And we don't get what we want. And it doesn't feel like there's any resolution. God, we, we bring those questions and those doubts and those concerns to you today. God, we ask that your scripture would come alive for us today and, and reveal to us something more than words. Reveal to us a truth that we need in our lives. A truth that doesn't just sound good, but is good. And so God, as we sit at the feet of your son, Jesus the Christ, and ask him the same question as the disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. God, would you speak to us again this morning? All this we pray in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. So we're going to walk through the scripture. Today's sermon is going to be, uh, sometimes I like to do this, where we're just sort of going to walk through it and stop and talk along the way. And, and so we're not going to read it all at once, but we're going to spend our, our whole time this morning sort of walking piece by piece through the scripture today. So it starts off, it says, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he'd finished, one of his disciples, I'm going to read off the screens because we have uh, two different, that's my bad. He was praying in a certain place, and after he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So let's stop there for just a moment. Um, so Jesus is off praying. He does this frequently in the Gospels. You'll, you'll hear uh, them mention Jesus going off by himself to pray. He made that a regular part of his ministry, and, and it's just a nice little reminder that if, if Jesus Christ can stop what he's doing uh, to go and pray, so can we, right? Um, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray the same way that John has taught his disciples. They're talking about John the Baptist. Uh, it was really common back then for great teachers or leaders uh, to essentially um, have signature prayers that they would then teach to their students, and it was a way for the students to be able to identify who their teacher was, right? So they'd say, oh, I pray in the way of John, or I pray in the way of Jesus. So they're asking Jesus for his signature prayer, right? And, and what he's going to share with them is the Lord's Prayer, uh, or a version of it that ends up becoming our Lord's Prayer. So let's keep going. Jesus told them, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And so we're going to stop there. This is the prayer that Jesus offers. It's shorter than the Lord's Prayer that we have today. 
A couple things I want to point out. Number one, uh, we're teaching Andy uh, how to pray, and we're trying to make that a regular part of our lives. And just like you, we forget all too often. We've eaten a lot of meals that we didn't bless, and so they're poisonous or whatever, you know, yeah. And um, we're really bad at remembering. But when we remember to bless our food before meals, um, we'll ask Andy to pray. And, and she learns little prayers at school or at Sunday school. And recently, I feel like someone's been teaching her, the, trying to teach her the Lord's Prayer. And, like, she just kind of fixates on one part because she'll go, Dear God, thank you for family. Thank you for our food. Thank you for bread. Amen. Right? And I'm like, she's not wrong. Like, bread is awesome. We should definitely specifically thank God for bread. I feel like somehow she's like, give us our daily bread. God, thank you for bread. And, and it just is a reminder that you can either love keto or Jesus, but not both. Right? Like, bread is on my plate because I believe in the power of scripture. Yeah? Jesus tells me to ask for my daily bread. So I'm going to. Um, so let's walk through the Lord's Prayer that Jesus offers and, and pull some high, high, high point nuggets, right? We could spend a whole day, a whole series just on this. Um, notice that Jesus begins by simply acknowledging God's holiness and God's power and God's amazingness, right? Father, hallowed is your name. Thy kingdom come, right? Like, he begins with God. And how many times do I begin to pray and I jump straight to me? I jump straight to my needs and my concerns and my problems, and I forget to begin and root myself in who God is and what God is about. You know, what's funny is when I do that, a lot of times what I thought were my needs and my concerns and my desires going into that moment of prayer, they change. Because I'm now looking at my life not through my own eyes, but I'm trying to look at it through God's eyes. Or I'm at least inviting the presence of God to shape and mold me, which doesn't sound like a huge deal, but it really is. When we enter into a moment of prayer and we say, God, I'm going to start by just simply acknowledging your power and your glory and your holiness. And I'm going to remind myself that this life and this world is about bringing more of you here. And I want to invite that into my moment of prayer. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. I want your will to be done in my life, right? And then we begin to go down the list of needs or concerns or desires. So then when Jesus moves into the needs and, and the desires, he begins with, give us our daily bread. Notice Jesus doesn't say, give us our daily feast, give us our monthly bread, give us a lifetime subscription to bread, right? Give us our daily bread. One of the hardest things to accept in the Christian faith, especially in an American culture, is that we have to adopt a position of dependence on God. Now, this is not going to go over well for my financial planners in the room. Your job is to get people to plan out long-term, sign up for 401ks, you know, make sure you've got all your money put away. This is Jesus saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about next week. Don't worry about the retirement plan. When you pray to God, focus on what you need for today. What are the provisions that, that you're asking God to make in your life for today? Calling us to the radical present, calling us to a position of dependence. This is not easy. But it's where Jesus begins in his asking of need. And then notice he goes straight into, um, God, forgive us as we forgive others, right? Can we get that on the screen for a second? Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. Now, I want us to hear this correctly. We're not asking God to forgive us in the same way that we forgive other people. Thank God that is not the way that God's forgiveness works, right? Because if that's the way that God's forgiveness works, I would be a lot less forgiven. You? <laughs> This is an aspirational prayer, and what it is is it's calling our attention to the fact that we don't get to just ask for ourselves and forget about everybody else. 
There is something about a life of faith. There is something about a connection to God that leads us to reciprocate, that leads us to pay it forward. What we're saying is, God, help me to forgive other people in the same way that I know you've showered me with grace. Help me to be more like you because you have forgiven me so completely, and I want to be like that in my life. And then lastly, Jesus says, and do not bring us to the time of trial, or other translations will say, and do not lead us into temptation, okay? Now, we could go down the rabbit trail of like, wait, God leads us into temptation? No, 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 we addressed that last week. You know, God doesn't do evil to accomplish good, yada, 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 yada. Don't go down that rabbit trail today. Today, what I want us to notice is that this is not a period at the end of a prayer. It's more like a comma or an ellipsis. This is an open-ended prayer. Because if we're asking God to, to be a part of our leading a part of our going, a part of our moving after this prayer, then that implies that we're asking God to be in constant conversation with us. I don't know about you, but I get led into temptation almost every moment of every day. I'm tempted to be rude. I'm tempted to be selfish. I'm tempted to be sinful. I'm tempted to be unkind. I'm tempted, 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 tempted. And so if I'm going to ask God to, to lead me away from temptation and not allow me to go into temptation, I'm saying, God, I, I want this prayer to continue. I want it to be in every breath. I want your words to be ringing inside my mind and within my heart and within my soul every moment of my day. So Jesus teaches a prayer that doesn't end, it just continues. And he doesn't stop there. Now see, a lot of teachers would have taught a rote prayer and said, okay, now go pray this prayer and you'll have faith. Right? And it's the Lord's Prayer can give you tremendous faith. You know, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he was taught that, you know, just preach the good word and eventually you'll start to believe it, right? Sometimes having these rote prayers can actually be really helpful. I know some of us who grew up uh, Catholic or, 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 or Episcopalian, you know, well, maybe you hate rote prayers, but maybe you have a great love for them, right? I know in our Wednesday evening communion service, there's a, there's a great value placed on routine and these prayers that we're taught and we're instructed in. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on and he decides to explain what he's talking about because he knows that there's a natural question that comes out of this that you and I have this morning. Okay, Jesus, you just taught us a prayer and there's a whole lot of asking there, but what happens when I don't feel like my asks are fulfilled? How do I understand that? So he's going to address that head on. He says, and he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. So let's stop there. So we have to understand the context of who Jesus is talking to to get why this is a really helpful illustration. Not so helpful for you and me today, because if you show up at my door at midnight asking me for bread, I'm like, call the pizza place. I don't know what to do for you. I'm trying to sleep, right? Um, go away. Go away, please. This is weird. You're making this awkward, right? Um, so he's talking to a community where this would, have been, this would have been an understood thing that could happen. Because in the ancient Middle East, uh, there was a great value placed on hospitality. Like, we think we've got it with southern hospitality. we got nothing on ancient Middle Eastern hospitality. If a guest showed up to your house at any moment for any reason, you were expected to take them in, to feed them, to take care of their needs. No questions asked, right? This was just what was expected. So what's happening is we've got this man who has a, has a guest show up late at night. He's got no bread to offer. He's already eaten his bread for the day. And so he needs to go to his neighbor and ask for some bread right? I've got this guy. I can't turn him away. I've got to take him in. Please lend me some bread. I also think it's interesting to me um, seeing Jesus use an illustration of someone going out and asking for bread for another person after he's just 
shared within the Lord's Prayer, it makes me consider how even asking for our own daily bread, we may be actually asked to share that daily bread with somebody else, right? Like continues to build in this idea that like you're not isolated. Uh, your daily bread is not even your own. You might be asked to share it with another. And so Jesus continues and he, and he says, um, let's keep going there. Yes. And the man answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. That sounds like me, right? That sounds like something I would say. Now, why th this guy would be saying this, why is the neighbor being kind of rude? Because in an ancient Middle Eastern home, the whole family would have slept on the floor together, right? Like, it would have been like the parents and all the kids right there, boom, 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 boom. So there's no easy way to get to the door. Those of us with, with uh, a, a child, multiple children, you know, you know the gift of having all of them asleep at the same time. I'm learning that right now as we're on kid number two. You're like, oh, sweet silence, right? And so then to have someone banging on your door at midnight, you, you, they're not in their own separate rooms. They're not in bunk beds in the third bedroom, right? You're all on the floor together, so you're going to have to, like, walk over them. There's no way to do this without waking people up. It's just going to be chaos. So you're saying, I don't have time for this. Go away. Leave me alone. My kids are asleep. This is understandable reaction, maybe. The other thing to keep in mind, too, is to, this is sort of an interesting tidbit. Why was he going to this neighbor? Um, I, I read this. I just thought it was interesting. Maybe you'll find it interesting too. Ancient Middle Eastern communities, they had these uh, communal bread ovens, right, where they would go and cook all their bread together. And, um, and so but you would have to share it so people would use it throughout the day. So uh, this guy that he's going to was the last one at the bread oven. So he maybe had just finished his bread, and the neighbor knows this. So he knows he's got the really good stuff. Right? And, and so this guy's just so mad. Not only was he up late cooking bread, and now he's going to have to wake his kids up to offer it to the neighbor. So Jesus keeps going. He says, so I say to you, uh, no, uh, back up. I, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So the idea is that the, 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 the guy that's asking for bread is like, hey, can I have some bread? And he's like, no, go away. No, really, I, I need some bread. Seriously, dude, my, my kids are asleep. Leave, leave me alone. Hey, I really need some bread. Let me in and give some bread, right? At that point, like, the kids are waking up. It's chaos. It's madness. So he's like, fine, I'll give you some bread. The moral of the story is, even if God doesn't like you that much, just bother him enough and you'll get what you want, right? No, that's not, that's not what Jesus is saying. There's something about the boldness of this man to continue to persevere in his prayer, to continue to ask until this neighbor finally relents. Um, and I want to talk about boldness for a second. There's a, there's a pastor that I, I don't agree with everything he teaches, but sometimes he gets some things right. And one, one thing he says about prayer, his name is Mark Batterson. He says, bold prayers honor God and God honors bold prayers. God is not offended by your biggest dreams or boldest prayers. He's offended by anything less. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, they're insulting to God. Now, he takes that a little, he says that more strongly than I would. I don't think that if you have reasonable prayers that God is offended by that. But I do love that he makes the point that we shouldn't hold back from God. If there's something bold that we want to pray over in our lives, we should be willing and comfortable and ready to take those things to God. Because uh, there is something to be said for the fact that if what we're praying for is completely doable on our own, then do we, are we really inviting God to be a part of it? Or do we need to make space for it to be just a little bit impossible to say, God, I, I really need you to show up in this way. Now I'm going to talk about what kinds of things that we're going to pray for in just a moment. But, but this idea of being bold. You know, I, there's times when I feel like maybe my prayers need to get a little bit more bold. 
I kind of go to God and just sort of am filling God in and what I'm doing, but I'm not really making space for God to be at work because there's nothing that I'm asking God to do that would really be impossible for me to do alone. So um, maybe that's something you can go home and, and spend some time in prayer about this week of, God, how can I make space for you? How can I grow bolder in my prayer? Um, and then not only that, how can I then go out and be ready to live in a bold way? How can I allow you to be moving in my life so that I can be like a, a good host that's willing and ready to make an awkward situation with my neighbor so that I can be hospitable to someone in need? How can I go and knock on the doors that need to be knocked on? Out of curiosity, though, I also was thinking about this. What do you think is the boldest part of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus shares? The boldest part. For me, it's this idea of, of God forgive me in the way that I have forgiven other people, right? Like, that's a bold thing to say because what we're, what we're doing is we're really asking God to hold us to the standard of perfection. And we don't do that so that we can take on guilt and shame. We do that so that we can try to be perfected in God's love and we can try to extend forgiveness and grace in the way that God does. See, again, the, the boldest prayers we pray are, are, are not about God, give me, give me, give me, but more about God mold me, shape me, move me. Those are the kind of bold prayers that I think Jesus is talking about. So he keeps going and he says, so I say to you, now this is the verse that everybody loves to quote and we put it on bed, bath, and beyond wall hangings and tea towels and when we shut the Bible and say, well, that works for me and it's just there's so much more to it than, than bed, bath, and beyond can give credit for, right? So, so I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you for everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. So just boom, there, okay. There, right? All we have to do is ask. God, please give me a million dollars. God, please make sure I get this job that I want. God, please heal my aunt. God, please help my child. The problem is that sounds really nice until we ask or we seek or we knock and we don't get what we think we were asking, seeking, knocking for. And, and if we have a faith that's built on like razor thin, wimpy theology, then when real life smacks us in the face, where's our faith? It's real easy to stop showing up to church. It's real easy to stop praying when we think that our faith is all about a couple of lines that we pluck out of the Bible and say, that sounds good to me until it's not that great. So what is Jesus talking about? If he's not saying that whatever you ask for, you're going to get, or whatever you look for, you're going to find, or whatever you're knocking on the door for, you're going to receive, right? If that's not what Jesus is saying, because I believe that Jesus lives in the real world too, right? God in flesh. This is a real human, real God, Jesus. What's he talking about? Well, we've got to use our heads when we interpret scripture, right? It's one thing, that reason I'm a Methodist. John Wesley never asks me to leave my brain at the door. In fact, he asked me to engage it. So here's what I, I hear two things. When I look at this, this passage through the lens of the larger context, through the lens of a greater understanding of who Jesus is and the fact that Jesus is grounded in reality, I hear two things. Number one, I hear this word everyone over and over again. Did you hear the word everyone over and over again? Everyone who asks will be given. Everyone who seeks will find. Everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. That word everyone may not sound like a big deal to us today, but at that time it would have sounded like a huge deal. Because Jesus is not only saying that God's love and grace and power are available to everybody, it's saying that everybody has access to God, right? 
That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. You don't have to come to me and ask me to pray on your behalf for you to, for you to have that connection with God. You don't have to approach a pastor as an intermediary. You don't have to go to a, a temple and often certain sacrifices and, and go through a priest. You can just go to God directly and have a conversation, and it's between you and God. That is a big deal. Number two, Jesus chooses in this teaching on prayer to use language of relationship. He even uses a parable where God's in relationship with us as a neighbor, but then he says, you know, God is someone that we can go to and ask, and we'll receive, and we can go to and search, and we will find, and we can go to and knock, and the door will be opened. It's this, it's this humanizing of God, this relational intimacy that God has with us, where God is like a lifeline for us when we're in need, or God is like a guide for us when we are lost or isolated, or God is like a good neighbor when we need to find a door to knock on and we need someone to open the door, right? I need a God who's in relationship with me. I need a God who's personal and who has this understanding of human reality and is willing to be in relationship with me. So if Jesus isn't saying that we're going to get whatever we ask for, if we're going to get whatever outcome we hope for, what is he saying? And I think the answer lies in this last portion. He says to the disciples, this is how he closes his teaching, is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? The answer is no. Or if the child asks for an egg, we'll give a scorpion. Right? I know what you're going to ask next. What if my child asks for a scorpion? Still don't give him a scorpion. I called CPS. They said, don't do that. It's not advisable. Um, he says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is one of those blink and you'll miss it moments in the Bible. He doesn't say how much more will the Father give whatever you ask for. How much more will the Father give you whatever outcome you hope for. How much more will the Father give you what your universe thinks you need for you. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit. Now before you think that this is sort of a cop out. I want you to know that what Luke is saying is, is a really big deal. Maybe you're new to faith. Maybe you don't have faith yet. Maybe you're questioning your faith. I would rather have had Jesus say this than anything else. Let me tell you why. I don't have a great big sermonic ending for you this morning. I don't, I don't have a, a moving, heart-wrenching story that's going to put tears in your eyes. I, I, don't, I don't have anything like that. And, but it's not a shaggy dog story. Right? I'm not going to leave you without a punchline. I'm so thankful that Jesus promises us the Holy Spirit. Because if Jesus had said, then the Father will give you whatever you ask for, that would have left me hanging with the question. Jesus, I've asked for so many things that haven't come true. I've asked for people to be healed. I've asked for children to be well. I've asked for war to stop and crime to end and suffering and pain. I've asked for all these things to come to an end, and they all still exist. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't offer razor-thin, wimpy theology or easy answers, and I'm so thankful he doesn't. He offers us an answer that I'm not sure we always want, but it is good and it is true, and that is good enough for me. That is what I need. He promises us the Holy Spirit. Now, let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not going to make everything better. It's not going to fix all your problems. 
It's not going to mean that every bad thing in your life is going to disappear. Life is still painful. Life can still be a place of suffering. Life can be a place of deep, deep pits of despair. It's also a place of mountaintops and of joys and of dancing. It's a place of weeping and a place of laughing. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is with us through all of that. And it doesn't promise us that everything will work out, but it promises us that in the words of Paul, when he shares with the Corinthians, uh, he talks about the Holy Spirit in this way. I am pressed, but not crushed. I'm persecuted, but I'm not abandoned. I am struck down, but I'm not destroyed. The Holy Spirit can work in any scenario, any circumstance, any situation. And it can allow us, like we talked about last week, to find the purpose, to resurrect that hope in the darkest of places. I don't need God to fix all of my problems. What I need is the Holy Spirit to walk with me through them. And so when my prayers seem to go unanswered, the reality is that they're not unanswered. Sometimes we just don't get what we think we're asking for. Sometimes it doesn't work out the way that we want it to. But God doesn't leave us alone, and God doesn't leave us to suffer and die. God grants us the Holy Spirit as a living grace and hope so that the light never goes out, so that death never has the final word, and so that we never have to be hopeless. Friends, I would leave it with you this way. When we ask for specific results, we can lose faith when we're disappointed by the outcome. When we ask for the Holy Spirit, we can grow in faith regardless the outcome. There have been so many times that I have asked for specific outcomes and they did not happen, but when I asked for the Holy Spirit, I received wisdom, I received strength beyond measure, I received courage, I received comfort, I received a place to grieve, a space to cry, I, I received the ability to shout out in anger, I received peace, Ultimately, I received love. So again, like last week, I don't have the answer maybe that you hoped for when you walked in. I certainly don't have an easy answer. Neither does Jesus. But I'd rather have this one. Because even though I may not always get what I want, and things may not always work out, good God, I have a good God who will walk with me through every single step of the way. That's the kind of good news I need today. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we come to you in prayer simply to bow our heads, to express to you that you are holy, you are good, you are mighty, you are grace-filled, your love is infinite and pervasive. God, we do invite your spirit to be more present among us and to guide us and direct us as we help to build your kingdom here on earth. God, fix our eyes to you so we could learn what it is that you wish us to desire that you would have for our lives. And God, we do lift up prayers for you. God, we, we pray that you would watch over and provide for us just today. 
Give us the strength we need for today. Give us the courage we need for today. Give us the grace, the forgiveness, the peace, the comfort that we need today. And we'll be right back here again tomorrow. Inviting your presence again. Inviting your provision again. God, help us to look more like you. Help us to give grace like you. Help us to forgive like you. We will never be perfect like you are, but God, help to perfect us in your love so that when people meet us, they could also meet Jesus through us. And God, don't let this be the end. When we say amen, let our prayers continue throughout the day. Let us call on you in those moments of need. Let us call on you in every breath. Let us be reminded that you are a God who walks with us within and without the sanctuary. God, we're so thankful for you. We're so thankful for a God not of easy answers but of good and perfect truth. It's in your son's holy and precious name and empowered by your Holy Spirit that we pray and we say, amen.